everybody to another edition of How Quietly Can I Talk at the Beginning of a Podcast. That's why we have microphones, which I think were invented by, I don't know, Nikola Tesla? That's not true. Hey, this is Sad Times. I'm your host, Kevin. Thank you for joining us. For anybody who hasn't listened to Sad Times, welcome. Tell 10 friends. And also, here's what Sad Times is. Each week we have a guest on who talks about uh, experiences in their life, times they were upset, times they struggled, uh, any number of things that maybe we as people don't always talk about so openly. We have very kind, generous, and brave guests who come on and tell their stories so that you who are listening, maybe will hear something that makes you feel less alone. Uh, We all have struggles. We all have our shit. Our goal on the show is in no way to solve any of these things, nor is it to diagnose. Uh, It is simply to let the stories be told. And if you would like to be a guest, you can email sadtimeskc at gmail.com. That's K as in ketchup, C as in cat, sup. Thank you, Brent. Uh, Sadtimeskc at gmail.com. Actually, today's guest, who we'll get to in a moment, emailed us there. And now she's a guest on the show. Uh, one thing to remember, woohoo, she just got very excited. Uh, one thing to remember is um, the guest uh, decides everything that we speak about on Sad Times. So if you reach out, we can explain to you how it works and we'll have a, we'll, we'll talk before the podcast. Um, but yeah, sadtimeskc at gmail.com. And uh, you can find us on Facebook and you can find us on Instagram now at Sad Times Podcast. Ooh, I can't believe I did that. I just really, I did it. Okay. All right. Before we get to our guest today, let's go ahead and get to this week's sponsor. This week's sponsor and sad times is brought to you by the 1924 attempt at a child labor amendment to the constitution. Hello from the past. This is the 1924 attempt at a child labor amendment. I know. I know. We are surprised. It's just an attempt as well, but this time, Don't blame the Congress. That's right. It passed both the House of Representatives and the Senate by the needed margins and was sent to the states. One would think this would pass, what with the arguments that manufacturers made about state laws outlawing child labor. Arguments like, but what about the state next to us who put six-year-olds to work? We can't compete with that. And so the proposed child labor amendment to, quote, limit, regulate and prohibit the labor of persons under 18 years of age, unquote, was proposed to level the playing field. In a stunner, the manufacturers who whined for a level playing field fought to defeat the amendment. And now we don't have it, which is a callback to one of our other sponsors, Bad Faith Arguments. Okay, great. As always, please, please, please. Visit our sponsors. Use the code F-A-K-E. My hair looks C-R-A-Z-Y right now, even though this is an audio format. So let me... Okay, cool. Let's get to the guest. Today we have a wonderful woman named Bonnie on the show. Bonnie, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for reaching out. Thanks for coming on. Um, Let's let's talk a little bit about, um, before we get into it, uh, how we know each other. You... Uh, almost 20 years ago to the day, uh, as of this recording, uh, married one of my closest childhood friends. And uh, you are still married to that tall drink of water. Yes. Yes. We are child brides. <laughs> well, you were uh, 20? Yeah. 20, See, 20, 20 he, 21. Yeah, he would have been 21, right? Because it was August and he was born November 17th, 1981. I'll never forget oh, that. Hmm. Um, don't worry. I don't know a social security number. 
no, he's. Uh, if I may, your your husband's one of the uh, one of the has some of the best taste in music. He's one of the calmest, nicest guys you'll you'll ever uh, get to meet. And he put up with a lot of my uh, bullshit when I was an angry kid. And and he and his family were nothing but kind to me. And he's a good good man. And uh, and another positive is he led me to meeting you. So how's everything going today? Um, today's great. Uh, I live in Scotland, and the weather has cooled down slightly from yesterday and uh, yeah what's the okay i'm gonna ask you something uh and then i'm gonna make fun of you what's okay. the temperature in celsius oh i can do celsius yeah i can't do fahrenheit okay tell me the celsius temperature so celsius temperature oh my phone is even telling me right now it's 14 degrees celsius it's 14 and yeah and yesterday when i was out in the sun it was like 20 21 degrees celsius so 14 is like maybe what 48 uh 57.2 degrees fahrenheit uh thank you that's from our research uh, assistant (laughs) wade thank you wade appreciate it buddy uh 57.2 that's not too bad not too bad now when i uh spent three months in india it spent a lot of time at around 40 degrees celsius oh i think if i remember correctly if not more and it was hot uh, but I've been to Scotland. Tell us where in Scotland you are. Uh, so we're just north of Edinburgh in a new, well, in Dunfermline. And it just became a city last year. Awesome. It, it is so fucking beautiful around there. I mean, I was only there briefly. But how long have you guys been there? So we've been here now two years. It was sort of a out of the pandemic thing that we came here mm-hmm. and I think it might be our forever home. It's very beautiful. The people are really nice and we love whiskey. So we're in the land of whiskey. Yeah. I mean, you can't, and it's so, again, so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Um, and you're no stranger to travel uh, internationally. So now we, we growing up in, in the U.S., there's a term, a military brat, army brat, whatever you want to call it. I believe your father was in the Air Force, correct? That is correct. Now, you traveled around a lot due to him being in the Air Force. Where did you spend a lot of your childhood? Most of it outside of the U.S. Okay. So I was born on my parents' second tour to England. Um, So a tour is like typically like two to three years. Mm -hmm. Um, And I ended up living in England twice, though my parents were there three times. Uh, we also did two tours in Naples, Italy, and also Stuttgart, Germany. And scattered in between then, we might, you know, spend a couple months here, maybe jump to the States for a little bit, but then come back. Okay, so that has to be, um, I did not travel, other than some dental work I had done in Canada. Um, Wade, calm down. Uh, I um, did not travel internationally until I was 31. So to be in those formative years to be going back and forth and back and forth. Now you said you were born in England, but you have dual citizenship. Yeah. I lucked out and was able to have that. Um, I even forget which country changed their rules. So I have dual citizenship. Um, My kids are able to have citizenship through me, but it doesn't grandfather down past them unless they have kids in the country. Right. My husband has got an ILR, which basically is a visa where he can live and work indefinitely in the uk wow did can he give me one of those (laughs) 
I don't know if he can he make that. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> all right. So you didn't grow up. You moved around a lot. Tell us about what, how, how, I mean, I think it maybe on the surface, people are like, well, yeah, that would be difficult and all this stuff. Explain a little more about kind of how that was difficult for you and, and kind of what it meant for you and your relationships. Cool. So you're constantly in this cycle. So, and then this is from before I was born. So I just was born into it. You're living somewhere and then you find out that you're going to be moving somewhere else and you get with the military, you usually get plenty of time to plan for this. Um, so by the time you know that you're sort of in this detachment phase. So you're still loving the people you're with and the community you're in, but now you're starting to detach yourself a bit and being really excited about this new location. And since my parents kept taking overseas assignments, it's always like summer, you know, a new country, a new language, a new culture. It wasn't just moving from city to city. Right. And then we'd get to that new place and you hoped all your stuff would show up um, in the boxes and nothing broke or got lost, which both would happen. Mm -hmm. um, you'd unpack your new room, your new house, new school, new friends, always having to say, hey, my name is. And um, you would then settle in and be excited about everyone you're around until again, you find out you're going somewhere else and that cycle would just uh, repeat. Did but you? It was well, go ahead, please. Well, I was going to say it was easy, at least for me, from where my memory begins to age like 16, 17. It was, it seemed easy as I remember it because you're always in these like very similar situations where people are moving in and out. Right. Okay. And so you, it's just kind of a repeating cycle then. Yes. A it repeating cycle of, being excited, um, finding, you know, a sense of identity. And then you're going through like a grieving loss process. And even when you're trying to fit into a new place, you're like, man, I wish my friend from back home was with me to go to set event with me. We'd have so much fun. And sometimes it's hard to really be in the moment when you first get to a place because you're still going through this loss and grieving of home identity Etc. Yeah, and you know, I it, it, example being how I talked about Ryan, your husband. You know, I I met him in first grade. Uh, we fought all the time. Uh, we had to go to the principal's office. All sorts of good stuff. He's probably told you those stories. Um, that's first grade, right? And now uh, I'm uh, 822 years old, and I'm speaking to his wife, right? Because I I was lucky enough to grow up in a great town with great people. And it's, it's not that you didn't, but it's that you were moving around so much. Yeah. Like even, I mean, my accent now is pretty set, but even when I went to uni, um, I was a theater, um, student and my professor said he could pick all these different places where I've lived. And I said, yeah, that's cause I'm always around all these people. Um, so people are constantly coming in and out of your life and just how an accent can be affected. Other areas of your life can be affected and you're just malleable and like chameleon yeah fitting who you are did you learn other languages as well i mean i tried yeah um, that would be very hard yeah just because i would only be somewhere for a few years um my sister definitely had it easier when we were in italy the first time because she was able to be in a it was a one of the classes on base for school but like half the day was in italian and half the day was in english and when you're little, it's really easy to soak in that yeah. language. Yeah. 
uh, I believe the Italians say we. Is that right, Wade? Can you look into that? Thank you. Uh, just kidding. Okay, so you moved back to the States for, I think it was what, about the last year and a half of high school? Yeah, and I even tried to graduate early so I wouldn't have to do high school in the States. Um, but yeah, I did the last year and a half in Tucson, Arizona. Gotcha. Okay. And so you, you arrive. Yeah, you maybe you maybe have some odd accents and such, but you also, were you identifying yourself though also as an American or did you not even feel that way? I mean, I felt American because American military bases, like wherever we live, especially the Air Force bases were like little America. Like you had everything you would ever need. And why I say, especially Air Force bases, because we always had like uh, roller skating rinks and things that maybe the other bases didn't have. It was quite lush. But when I moved to the States, I, yeah, I felt American, but I was also excited because I knew about American culture, not just yeah. from what I knew growing up, but TV and movies. And it's everywhere. Being, right. Yeah. And so being like a, an American girl, what was I most excited about? American shopping malls. I was like, this is amazing <laughs> because. Uh, when I when I grew up overseas, like we basically shopped in catalogs, and so when you walk down the um, the school and you're you know you're passing students, mm -hmm. if you like to shop as much as I did, you could go and be like, oh, that girl got page twenty two that dress that's in the spring catalog because you would literally memorize limited shopping. I know it's different. We've got online shopping, but you know back well back we then, yeah, in catalogs like. Right. So going to an American shopping mall to me was exciting, but that sort of fizzled out after a few months of like, ooh, it's so exciting to like, oh, okay, I've, I've been a few times now. When you and I spoke before, you used the term, uh, you referred to yourself, especially when you moved back for the last year and a half of high school, you used the term quote unquote hidden immigrant. Can you tell me what you mean by that? Yes. So when I was in Europe and moving around a lot, you know, you were always oh, you're the American if you're off base mm -hmm. or there's always kids moving in and out. But then I moved to the States and you're just one person surrounded by lots of other people and no one knows that you're any different. Not that I'm special, but no one knows, you know, all the different places I've lived or things I think of as pop cultural references or the music I like. And so all those things that are your favorite things or your identity when I would try to communicate with people, um, I just kept feeling like I was hitting a wall, like I would stop conversations. So, for example, like I would be talking to people about skiing and I would be really excited to talk to people because like, oh, I like skiing. You like skiing? Great. Mm -hmm. And maybe they would be talking about skiing in, I don't know, New York or Colorado or something. And and then I would add in about, you know, a trip my dad took me to living in Germany and Italy would be going skiing in the Alps and wow. how much I loved eating garum canoodle on the break in, in between skiing. And, you know, I'd be going off and on on things. And then just realized that no one was really like kind of classy stairs or the conversation would stop and lots of conversations similar to this. I just realized that because my experiences and worldview were different and very alienating, like it would just, People, I don't know, I guess maybe they thought it was being snobby or we just couldn't connect, but I had a hard time making friendships with people because I just felt like I, I was different from everyone else. 
Yeah. Even I, though I'm American. Right. And I, I think that's something that w- when you explain it as well as you did, it's, it's something that, of course, that makes sense. But me and my dumbass, you know, growing up, I'd be like, I would probably be, how do I say it? When you said that you were going to go skiing in the Alps, my, I wanted to say, wow, the Alps. But that was just your veil or your, you know, that's just where people went skiing around. And But you're saying that people are like, well, look at this person. Oh, she goes to the Alps. I just went to, you know, the fucking quad cities, um, you know, or whatever. And so people, it's, it's almost like people don't know how to react. And then they're also making judgments about you that you, do you, did you feel like you wanted to control those judgments and say, no, 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 I'm just like you. Well, yeah. And like, there was one time I remember I was in the, the drama club and we were going to go on a field trip and the teacher was asking, um, who has a car, who can give rides? And I was like, oh, me, me, me. I want to help out. You know, I want to help my friends out get to know people. And he asked how many people I could fit in the car. And so I was, you know, counting it up and I gave the number. And then we came to the field trip to go and a big issue arise. I had no clue what was happening. Well, the number that I gave about how many people could fit in our car was how many Italians we would fit in our car when we would give rides from church to wherever we were going for lunch. Uh-huh. Because tra- um Road rules like seatbelts and stuff are mere suggestions in Naples, Italy, where I lived, where in the States, everyone's going to have their individual seatbelts. Gotcha. Um, and I made a lot of my classmates really mad. They felt like we wasted time to get to our field trip because now we needed another car. And that was something where I felt like I was really trying to like, I was really just trying to be nice and like, just trying to be helpful. And it kind of backfired if that makes sense. And it, 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 it does make sense. And then it almost kind of reinforces your feeling like, even though I'm in America and I'm an American, I am the outsider here. And I mean, yeah. Uh, So, and, and I imagine that the repeated losses that are caused by these regular moves, you know, uh, they, those trigger anxiety and stress. Um, they do. Yeah. yeah. So like, you know, to the sadness and stuff too, cause you'd be thinking, man, if this had happened, if we were going on a field trip in back where I was in Germany, like it was so easy to get around on public transport. We wouldn't need cars. Like I already have my friend base. And so I would, you know, almost feed on the sadness and then just go with it and ride it and make myself even more sad because I'd be like, man, you know, you envision what a field trip would be like back home. Yeah. Uh, Not home, but like one of my homes. That says it right there. Not home, but also home. Right. And then people are like, what do you mean home? You're American. You're you're Germany. And and then people are like, (laughs) Kevin, shut up. And I'm like, well, one day I'm going to host a podcast. So, okay. (laughs) You used a term that I had never heard before. And I want to, kind of dig into this here it's called third culture kids or tck um tell us what that is cool so third culture kids or tck sometimes you'll see atck which is just adult third culture kids Mm -hmm. um but i still think it's a fairly recent term but it's um being coined to describe people that if you've spent a significant part of your developmental years in a country or culture outside of your parents, um, then you might relate to being a TCK. So often this is, you know, not just military kids, but like diplomat kids, missionary kids, um, anybody that would 
move around um, for whatever reason and just be kind of in not just either or sometimes multiple different cultures. Yeah. And you, you talk about as a TCK, as a, as a third culture kid, that you'd meet somebody and you'd, you, you, you wanted to be friends with them right away because you're so used to these truncated amounts of uh, periods of time and you're like afraid that you're going to have to go somewhere else. And so maybe you came off to somebody in a way that you did not want to, like you were, you wanted to move forward to like close friendship right away. Is that, is that kind of a correct assumption? Yeah. And I, I feel like either because I know how short spans are in life of how long you might be somewhere the drive to make a friend really to be someone's friend really close. Or also if I meet someone and they just said, Oh, um, I'm German. I know that Germany is a huge country and I know I only lived in a small section, but immediately that will also make me um, go towards that friendship really hard, kind of intense um, just to make that connection. Cause we have something in common. Right. Um, but yeah, it's because when you're having to make friendships, so often and again and again, you just skip the first few like phases of how you make a friend with someone and you jump right in. It's like if they seem nice and they're trustworthy, it's like why not why waste all that time? You can just be really good friends with someone. Yeah, and, and you feel like this has formed how you continue to relate to people to this day. Definitely. And like I said, I'm I'm if I meet anyone and they seem like a nice person, whether we have something in common or not, mm -hmm. um I also feel like it's something I've got from my dad, but just it's nice to be able to know that you can make friends with anyone wherever you go. You don't have to be a TCK, but I just feel like that's something I identify with being able to do quite well. Yeah. And you talk about two words, rootlessness and restlessness. Yes. And and you said, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, where home is everywhere and nowhere. Can you expand on that a little more? Yeah. So when you're constantly moving to different places or back and forth or even when we would revisit the states to see like surviving grandparents like you're just constantly in motion but you're not so when we go to the states people are like oh maybe you sound different because I, I have had an english accent a few times when i was little mm -hmm. uh, or i would talk about you know living in europe and then would be in Germany or Italy or England, still here in Scotland, the same thing. People are like, oh, you're American. Where in America are you from? And you're just, you never have a place that's home, but you also always feel this need to like, man, I've been here so many years. I need to go somewhere else or I want to travel somewhere else. Or, I mean, I look at all the places I've been. I think I have a really hard time. So I don't want anyone to be like, oh, well, actually you went to that many schools. But I think if I count it up, it's something like, uh, we'll see two continents, maybe four different countries, 10 different schools. But counting how many homes I moved to and had a bedroom, I was like, this is my bedroom. I don't know, like 15 or some odd. Wow. And that's all before I went to university. Gotcha. Okay. Um, okay. So. You finished high school. Uh, now, when you guys came back, had your dad retired yet, or is he still in in the service? So he was still in the service for a little bit. That was his last um, duty assignment. And then when he retired, he actually still worked as a retiree. Um, what is that? Well, I, what do you mean by that? I, I don't 
now they just do that. They have to come back and do some something above my pay grade or whatever they say. <laughs> That's fair. And, <laughs> and um, so, yeah, he 30 plus years as a U.S. officer and then he wanted to teach. So he did a program that the military has so that you can go from being in the military to being a teacher. And so he became a, uh, it was like middle. Oh, sorry. What do you call the school grade between elementary school and high school? Middle, middle school. school or junior high. Yeah. He was like a junior high, high school teacher. Okay. At like a school. What did he, sorry. What did he teach? Um, a few different classes. Cause it was a small charter school. So you'd have several gotcha. different grades, mm-hmm. different classes. Um, but it was like science, biology, anatomy. He also taught the science, or he also taught the swimming club. If there were kids just trying to get ready to pass like exams because the school was so far away, my dad would just camp out under the stars at the school um, so that he could stay late into the evening and help. Like he'd pitch a tent type of deal? Like he need sleep overnight? Well, he wouldn't have a tent. He would just, I mean, well, it is guy, Arizona. Yeah, it's Arizona. Yeah. He just bring a sleeping bag. And it's so, like, there was a teacher who's like, you can stay at my house. He never wanted to like, it wasn't a thing he did a lot, but it didn't want to bother anyone. Gotcha. Okay. So, and how, okay. Yeah. So how old were you when he transitioned into being a teacher from uh, out of the military, went through that program to become a teacher? So he had done like some, I don't know all of my dad's educational background, but it didn't take him that long to get the credits he needed to do that. Um, so I don't think it was a very long process, but I think he began it when I was already at university. Uh, and that's where you met your husband. That's where I met Ryan freshman year. And then you two got married. That would have been the summer after junior, his junior year, your sophomore year. Maybe we basically met, started dating, got engaged, got married within a full two years. Okay. So that's what you did at a Christian school. Gotcha. Okay. So after that, and then not long after you guys got married, uh, you had a son. Yep. And this, so how old were you when your first son was born? Um, it was 2005. Right. I think I was 22 or 20. I think I was 22. 22. Was it like January of 2005? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. So you were like 22 or 23. Now, um, shortly after you had your first son, is that when uh, you guys decided that Ryan was going to go into the military? Yeah. So, well, he had decided maybe doing it while we're at uni. Um, Yeah. He had decided he wanted to join the military in uni because I really was like, you know, this was my upbringing. It'd be really cool. We could be a military family just like my family. Mm-hmm. And so my dad, not wanting the recruiters to mess with my now husband, um, took, well, he was, we were married then too, but my dad went in like his full uniform and took my husband to the recruiter's office Whoa. so that he would um, not get a really crap job. So they had him take a test. And basically this test, if you pass it, you don't get a choice of what, I don't know how much choice you get when you go to the military as an enlisted men- person. Mm-hmm. But if you pass this test, you have to be a linguist slash analyst. Mm-hmm. So that's how he, well, that was the path through that job. And then that got us to live in California and Hawaii. When you lived in California, you lived around Monterey, didn't you? 
Loved Monterey. Monterey is fucking beautiful. One of my close friends and two-time guest of Sad Times, Chris, uh, was a Korean linguist. Um, he he did it, oh gosh, about 11 years before Ryan did it. Now, I know Ryan wasn't Korean. Uh, it wasn't a Korean linguist. He was Mandarin, is that right? Yes. So where'd you go from California? So California, we went to the really hard um, location of Hawaii. That fucking sucks. I know. That sounds awful. Sunshine, rainbows, really amazing people. Yeah, but I mean, look, I that's one of the few states I, I have not been lucky enough to go to, unfortunately. But it, it's also it's did it feel isolating out there? Um, it did because you're in the middle of nowhere, and you know, just to get something shipped over, sometimes California and Japan both won't ship there because it's so far away. Um, and if you want to call a family member that lives on the mainland you got to really calculate how many hours that is because from i still had friends in mainland europe and that was a full 12 hours right 6 a.m in italy it's going to be 6 p.m in hawaii right i remember that correctly and so you're there um in hawaii and yes there's all the positives paradise beautiful wonderful people etc ryan's chugging along in his job um, you're about 25 years old. And then, um, tell us a little bit about what your dad was doing at that time with the school and kind of harken back to what you said earlier about if you're, I believe you used Germany as an example. If you want to go somewhere in Germany, you don't need a car, you use public transportation. Um, I mean, even just to say now we've been in the UK since 2011 mm-hmm. and Ryan and I both have not driven the entire time we've been here. Because we can just get around so easily. And if you have to, it's really easy to get a taxi to get somewhere. Right. Okay. So you're 25, you're in Hawaii, and your dad is is full on teaching at this charter school. How did he get to work? Did he drive there? Or basically, like what we were saying earlier, did he rely on public transportation? Kind of tell us about that. My dad loved to do outdoorsy things, but he also liked to do stuff for the environment. So there's this term go green for Charles, which I can bring up again later, but he would ride his bicycle to work, which if you were just saying that about here, like, it would make sense. Let the people bicycle to work. But in the States and where my dad was in Tucson and the schools on the opposite side of the city from where he's living, he'd actually have to have like my mom drive him to the bus stop. Um, then he'd get out with his bicycle and he would, I believe it would be two different buses to get to where he's going. And I'm not sure how long the bike ride was after he finally got off that second bus, but to the school. Um, but that was all a way to like, you know, be better for the environment, save some money. Yeah. Get some exercise in too, because like I said, he was working, he'd work really long days with like, he's not just, you know, teaching from this time to this time. He's doing stuff after school with the kids with like, clubs and such a quick shout out to teachers because teachers are fucking heroes um yes okay sorry go ahead um yeah so this when i was 25 there was this day where my dad was coming back from school uh Mm -hmm. he actually had a meeting not a meeting but he was gonna meet up with my mom and my sister at a restaurant and it was across the street from this park so the park is where the bus stop is that um, my mom would drive him to in the morning. Mm-hmm. So he got to that park and he was crossing lanes of traffic so that he get to the other side where the restaurant was. And there were 
a few cars that stopped to let him pass. Um, unfortunately, there was a girl that was high and in too much of a hurry. And she, I wasn't there, but she hit my dad, ran over my dad, and he pretty much died, I believe, in the ambulance being picked up to take him to the hospital. So he didn't, he didn't make it by the time he got there. Oh my God. I'm um, so sorry. Yeah. And I mean, one thing I think is really nice for my mom is there was, I mean, there's lots of people there. Cause it was like when people are, whatever you call it, when people are going home from work, fresh commuting meeting. Mm-hmm. And the lady said the last thing that like he, she remembers him saying was asking for his wife. So I, I that's really nice. You don't always get last words, but my mom, having been a military wife, um, and my dad had fought in the first Gulf War, you know, she was always used, you know, thinking in the back of her mind, there could always be this chance that, you know, something would happen to my dad, especially the airplane that he was a navigator bombardier for. Like, it was known, you know, things could happen. But she wasn't expecting to, you know, her and my sister were thinking like, well, maybe he got caught up at work and he just didn't give us a call back. Mm-hmm. And and there were like two police officers at her door. Um, okay. Sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt you. Um, they were supposed to meet for dinner, right? Yes. And then they, they're, they kind of like, well, something came up. So they came home and then the police showed up at their house. Yes. I don't remember the time that it ended up being like, uh, it's one of those things where I was all the way in Hawaii, so yeah. I'm hearing about these things. And another way that you're you're very isolated. Um, yeah, but still in the United States. Yeah. Um, so the the police come to let them know that your father had passed away. Yes. And then, how did you find out? I believe my mom wanted to shield me so she didn't call my phone she called my husband's phone mm-hmm. we're both sitting on the couch in our um, living room and i didn't really think anything but then he like puts the phone down and again this is back in 2008 so i don't really know i would just remember certain things that really stick out my, in my mind so mm-hmm. the one thing i definitely remember is he was saying that my dad died and i was like what your dad like I'm sure other people go through shock like this, but I was like, no, 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 my, my, my dad's fine. Like, cause I didn't realize my mom was the one that was on the phone with him. So I, I, it just didn't make sense. And then sort of like an out of, out of body experience, just like hearing myself making, it just seemed like noises. Like when you're, you watch movies and you're like, oh my gosh, that person looks that that's what, real grief and sadness and shock sounds like that's what I felt like I sounded like. And I had little kids at that time. They're one and three. And they started laughing at the way that I was crying and being upset. They thought you were like playing a game or something. Yeah. They, they thought I was just being silly and like, I mean, to be that young and innocent. Right. But I just remember that because my memory then goes from that moment to Thankfully, the military would be able to fly all four of us back to the mainland very soon. And so, you know, being on the airplane and the flight attendants asking if you need anything. And I've just got like a crying kid in my lap because the kid's, you know, on an airplane. And I'm also crying. And (laughs) um, I don't know. I just laughed. But it's just it's sometimes you got to laugh. 
far away. Oh, I have a very morbid um, sense of humor with death, but. Well, I mean, with with an experience like this and the shock, and I think that's right. I think that anybody who's who I think because I, thankfully, thank goodness, have not gone through it. Anybody who's gone through something like this probably uh, can relate to that. And and the, I've heard that before about um, a guttural noise. It's like a, a, a caterwauling or wailing. It's 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 as if you're. I think you said you're outside of your body. You're just like yeah, and. You had, you know, obviously you're on base, but it's it's kind of very much like when you were a kid, right? You're not, you don't have the support system of family around you. So you come, go ahead, sorry. Well, no, I was, I don't want to knock the military without having support. I'm not. Because there are some people that have like, um, you know, you're like if like with my mom, mm-hmm. like she would be in a squadron. So there'd be like a squadron wives thing or like, I don't know if they call it, but I would think like a mother hen, like someone that's sort of in charge. And I wasn't even, even in that situation, wherever my husband was working, I was in like a neither nor not part of anything. Mm-hmm. I feel there too. So it wasn't even like there was someone from the military being like, Oh, do you need any, any support? Um, or when I returned back, to Hawaii after being in Tucson, I didn't get any, like, you know, no one was knocking on my door and being like, how's your mental health? So yeah, it's very isolating. And uh, yeah, I I can't even imagine. And then, so it it was wonderful in the military to fly you guys, but I I imagine that, um, did the kids stay with you when you stayed in Tucson or did they go back with Ryan? Yes. The kids stayed with me for a little bit Uh and yeah, then eventually my mom was like, you know, you do need to get back to Tucson. Or, I'm sorry, I was in Tucson. My mom was like, you do need to get back to Hawaii. So we returned. Um, yeah, I don't even know how long I stayed in Tucson. It's just one of those things where, like, I just wanted to walk around my mom's house and be surrounded by things that reminded me of my dad because even sitting there I, I could just envision my dad coming back in the house with like a bag of bagels and be like you know they wouldn't want to go for a walk you know and I knew my mom was probably going to like have to go through and get rid of things and I live so far away I just wanted to be before anything changed again from the house I just wanted to remember it how it was did you realize as you were going through this like did you have a conscious thought I am grieving the loss of a parent or is it like, what are your memories of this time? Do you, do you recall feeling like you were grieving? Do you recall feeling just lost? Like kind of, how were you feeling at the time? Um, I was feeling a lot. Um, I was feeling like I got robbed because um, the girl that killed my dad, um, she to this day never spoke to my mom or any of us. And I just feel like she, her actions, this was the the reaction to her action. And I remember the last phone call I had with my dad, you know, he was very much like that dad, like he wasn't like your typical military dad, like, you know, like he's a really <laughs> loving. I met your dad um, once. He's a very, yeah. he was a very gentle man. As I recall, his call sign in the military was chuckles, you know, chuckles. So like I can hear laughter. <laughs> Brent's call sign is farts. Um, chuckles. That's man. What a, what a good Testament to him. Right. So I remember that like, you know, he'd be like, you doing okay. The kid's okay. Do you have enough money? You know, t- typical dad, 
well, maybe not typical to everyone, but my dad typical questions. And then he'd be like, is Ryan there? I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then he would talk longer on the phone to Ryan than he would to me, which now I love because my, my husband has some amazing stories of my dad. And I love when he, he could retell a story a million times and I love it. Um, But I felt robbed in that moment part of grieving because I was like, I was ready to have an adult relationship, like an adult child with an an adult parent Mm -hmm. and actually get to know my dad. Um, And then when I moved back to Hawaii, I was like, look, I need help. And I didn't realize like a psychiatrist doesn't actually give you uh, like therapy. You just get pills. So I got stuff for anxiety and depression, but it just basically numbed me made me very sleepy and maybe just helped me get through weeks and weeks and weeks but you weren't able you were not dealing with the actual emotions oh, right no just you're just medicated but not you're not getting any help <laughs> or dealing or processing um i feel like you really need a field to process i yeah. even i feel like i still process things from my dad dying now because i Maybe that's why um, when I heard about your podcast, I was like, oh, about sadness? Great. Let's listen to this. Um, because <laughs> I just like a good cry, you know? Yeah, so. sure. So, and you you told me too, so you're 25 when you lost your dad, which is really young. You're still a kid, I feel like. I think so too. I mean, Brent's only 28. That's not true at all. Uh, ben was, Brent was born in 1928, maybe. Uh, that's not true either. Um but you said something to me. You said that your father's death defined uh, the next decade of your life. Oh, my goodness. It really did. Um, probably more so the first half of a decade, mm-hmm. um, just because it was so shocking and it really hit me so hard. And I didn't, I wasn't prepared or had any way to feel how to work through this. And then you'd have all those, you know, typical days, like, you know, birthdays, father's day, day he died, or seeing something like here in England, I'd see it not very often, but if I saw a guy in a military uniform, you know, like it just takes something very simple, even a smell. Um, And I never wanted, um, I never wanted my kids to not know my dad. And so I would talk about him a lot too. So I just felt like 10 years past my dad dying, it really did define my life and my family's life because whether it was something being sad or if it was something kind of happy remembering him, he's just always been in in the forefront. And and you said seeing uh, uh, somebody in the military, you moved. So your dad passed away, you said in 2008, is that correct? Yes. And then you moved to the UK in 2011. Yes. Okay. So we did that because my dad had died. That started a conversation with Ryan and I, like, what do we want? And the military was able to at least most of the way, get us to England with, we sold almost everything. Um, And then the GI bill that Ryan has for being in the military helped him get a master's in England. I had dual citizenship. The kids had dual citizenship. So we had a way to get there, and that's how that happened. So it, it 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 was it was based it's kind of a direct result of your father passing away. You guys maybe indirect result. You guys moved to the UK, and you've been there now for about twelve years. Yeah. 
Yes. A oh. little bit in Brighton, most of it in Bath, England. And in the last two years, we've been in Scotland. Not bad. Not bad. You ever go to Liverpool? I haven't. What? You know, the Beatles are from there. I've I been there a couple times. Yeah, you. of course you love the Beatles. You're a normal person. <laughs> I was said towards Brent. Brent just, he hates my voice. Um, okay. So um, you move there and tell me about that. Now, again, this is an audio medium, audio medium, uh, but we're on a Zoom. And I see on your, I believe it's your right arm. You have a tattoo. Uh, oh, yes. Tell us about that tattoo. Um, so I will say this is my first real tattoo because I do have a tiny little star on my foot, but my mom said I could only call that a, a tat. So, so tiny. <laughs> okay. Um, this really awesome tattoo artist, um, she did my tattoo and my husband's, um, half sleeve ish arm. Uh, but this is my dad's airplane. So it's an F 111 E it's nicknamed aardvark. And it was flown from both the U.S. Air Force and the RAF. I think Roy Royal Australia. Air Force? Is that what that stands for? Yes. Yeah, the Royal Air Force. Okay. And then I think the planes possibly went to Australia for a bit. Okay. Um, but it's uh, an airplane where you've got two people in it. Mm -hmm. So you've got the pilot in the front. And then my dad was a navigator bombardier in the back. Um. And so that pretty much that airplane defined a good chunk of his military career from joining the Air Force Academy um, until after they weren't using those airplanes anymore. But yeah, I got that tattoo on my arm because I wanted to remember him. But also what's been really cool living in England, um, I haven't got it in Scotland, but in England, there seems to be a lot of men i guess over a certain age that really have like a hobby of like airplanes and royal um not royal airplanes but military aircraft mm -hmm. and they'll come up and even call oh that's an aardvark you know and then i'm like wow you really know your stuff because you're getting that from a tattoo right but it's been really nice to talk to people um and that's another way that you can still have your dad in your life remember your dad definitely because i've got a cool air force like um my dad's like bomber jacket but mm -hmm. thing is really hot. So I can only really wear that a few months in Scotland, but the tattoo is nice. That, yeah. That's not going anywhere. The tattoo. Yeah. Um, okay. So you, you lost your dad, which is fucking horrible. Yeah. Uh, you moved to the UK about three yes. years later. Um, your mom now is a, uh, is a widow uh, after losing your dad and she's got two daughters. So what is your mom kind of, uh, what does she move into doing with her life? So she'd been working on a PhD for um, after she finished her master's for a long time. Cause as a military wife, you move around a lot. It's very hard to get jobs, kind of stick with education. But then after my dad died, I think she just wanted to do something new. So she ended up becoming a licensed massage therapist and she got to work with helping people out of chronic pain, helping people that were living with migraines and she also really enjoyed just traveling. So my sister lives in D.C. and then we've lived in the U.K. So she would visit each daughter, mm -hmm. complain that neither of us were going to Tucson. And <laughs> then we would plan like instead of, 
you know, be like, oh, let's go to the family home because we've never really had a family home. It'd be like, oh, where are we spending Christmas this year? Or my mom really wanted to do like, um, she used to say that, um, so our, our, my maiden name is Nystrom. So she used to say that Nystroms don't do cruises. Um, that's not the way we travel. Um, so that kind of defines how my mom would travel. So she did like a round the world trip where like, you know, what places would she like to go to? Can she stay very cheaply in a hostel? And no, she's not traveling with anyone else. But if she meets people that she knows in other places, she'll meet up with them. And she got to Sri Lanka and broke her arm. So she had to actually take a, a second round the world trip a few years later. And so she did that in 2018. And she went to some really cool places like, you know, Nepal and China. Like I have her Google photos connected to my phone. And so like every day I'll look and be like, oh, this was the day that, you know, my mom was here, um, which is kind of cool. That's so badass. Two around yeah, the world I, trips. I remember I that one time I broke my arm in Sri Lanka. I'm just kidding. I don't yeah. remember that. Well, she got like a smiley photo of her and her doctor in Sri Lanka. <laughs> <laughs> like, Hilarious. And, the, and I, I want to pull and point out too. You said that she became a licensed massage therapist, so yes. she she put in the work. She did it, and then she she's like, "I'm going to do this now." And you know, I think often uh, speaking for myself, I I overlook when people do things like that. That's not easy, and especially after a loss of that magnitude. So kudos to your mom because that's fucking awesome. And I don't I don't know how old she is when she did that. But she may have been the oldest person in her class with lots of like younger, you know, 20 somethings. Mm -hmm. But that didn't stop her. And she made some really good friends. There was someone that, you know, their parents had disowned them, but, you know, she became like their surrogate mother. And my mom didn't have me or my sister around. So she loved having someone to celebrate Mother's Day with her. So I think she's a testament to if you want to change your vocation or do something new, try a new hobby, travel somewhere that it doesn't. Age is but a number, and you can do anything with your life. Uh, I agree with that. My brain doesn't agree with it, but I agree with it because <laughs> I think that's right. So she went on her second around the world trip, and then she yes. came home. Uh, well, so, she didn't come home. She went to spend time with us for Christmas. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so in the UK, then what happened? Um, so she left us in the UK to go to visit friends in Italy, I think in Portugal, and then came back to see us. And at that time, my husband, my kids and I were all in a theater production. Um, this is a Christmas time one in, in England. They're called Pantos. Um, kind of like a nursery rhyme. Funny. They make crude jokes for the adults, but throw candy for the kids. That's fun. Anyways, it was a fun one. And we were actually like in costume backstage. I'm pretty sure we were all suffering with some sort of cold. So try not to cough too loud. Um. And I'm sure it's supposed to go up in like 30 minutes. And my mom is texting me. And so I'm looking at my phone like, okay, last few messages before I got my phone away. And she said she had a heart attack earlier in the day and that she's doing okay. She got a stent put in her arm. And I don't remember what else she said, but I was like, wait, what? She had a Um, heart attack? She texted you she had a heart attack? Like, how come no one had called me yet? Like, she had the heart attack in the lobby of the hotel she was staying at. Like I literally had just had lunch with her in the cafe I was working at and I wasn't feeling good. So I went home and she was sitting in the lobby. And that's when, um, just a shout out. If you are a female, look up, um, 
look up how a heart attack presents itself in your body. Cause it's not the same as like a man going, you know, I've got a heart attack mm-hmm. and my mom had known about it and she was looking up the symptoms and was like, Oh, I, I think I need, you know, immediate attention. So the, the hotel she was at was amazing. And I sent them, you know, a thank you card, but yeah. So she got a free ambulance cause it's free in the UK uh, that took her to the hospital. Wait a minute. Let me just stop you for a second. Are you telling me that there's public transportation everywhere you go and the ambulances are free? Also in Scotland, if you're 22 or under, you can get a special card and you can ride the buses for free. I don't want to hear any more of this communist bullshit. Brent, why did you allow this person on this podcast? God damn it. I'm just kidding. Those are, I of course think all of those things are wonderful and necessary things for the furtherance of human civilization. Now, uh, back to, uh, so your mom, she gets taken care of at the hospital. They put a stent in. I find out about it and I'm like, uh, and I talked to like the stage manager and I was like, my mom just had a heart attack and I think I need to go to the hospital. And clearly that's me being really nice. Um, in yeah. British, and they were like, "Do you need a ride?" I was like, "No, no, no, Ryan, I could just take the bus. We should have, we should have taken a ride from somebody." But no, we went and like walked in the dark. I think it's fifteen minutes to the bus stop, and then got because my mom was fine at this point. This is mm-hmm. what she's told me. Um, but the hospital is very close, so we go there, and it's just like I remember being like, "Mom, what did you do to yourself?" Because I I had just seen her earlier in the day, and I know my mom had had high blood pressure, um, but it wasn't like something like, you know, nothing like this had happened before. So what's really great is even though she isn't a UK citizen, um, she's in an NHS NHS hospital. And so like, just another side note, just I want, I want to show this off a bit, but the cost of a week in the hospital, plus it was a free ambulance, I believe was cheaper than the ambulance. Um, that she would get later. Um, so I'm glad that like, if she was going to have a heart attack, it happened in the UK. And I got to spend that time with her in the hospital. And like, I, there was a few days from when she got out of the hospital till she could fly home. And so I would like, cause I worked in a cafe. So I'd get her a lunch and I'd go to her, um, her hotel and I'd bring her lunch to her. Sorry. I would bring her lunch to her. And then she had really great travel insurance. I remember her telling me about this. She wanted to make sure that, you know, she was taken care of if anything had happened. So they flew a travel nurse over and that travel nurse picked her up from her hotel. Um, I believe they then flew first class back home. So the travel nurse is with her if anything was to happen on the airplane and then made sure she got all the way to her house. So a medical professional wow. was with her. I don't know what wow. travel insurance that is, but um, th- I thought that was cool. Um, I really wanted her to stay in the UK, but she, like I said, she'd been traveling around the world for months. She'd been away from her little dog. You know, traveling is fun, but you sometimes you just want to sleep in your own bed. Oh, you for sure. Food. Yep. Her high school best friend and her had reconnected, and thanks to the internet, I'm sure. And so she had two dogs. So she was watching her own two dogs and my mom's dog and watching her house while my mom was away for a few months. So my mom gets back to the house. Um, She's there for a full day. She got to see the Tucson sunset. And that was her Facebook 
posting that she had put about, it was very short. And I remember thinking, oh, I want to call my mom, but let her be home for a day. I'll call her the next day. Well, the next day, her high school best friend is about to leave for uh, work. And she's just checking on her because my mom has this armchair in her living room because she's not supposed to be using stairs and just want to make sure she's okay. And I don't know what it sounds like, but my mom made some sort of breathing noise. And basically that was my mom taking her last breath. And the way that I like to think about it is that she made it home. She saw her dog. She did get to spend a wonderful Christmas with not just myself, but my sister was with us as well. But I like to say that like it would have been 10 years since my dad had passed. And maybe my dad was just like, look, it's time to come back because he saw 2020 coming and was like, you yeah. don't want to be there. Yeah. Um, but she died and, um, yeah, it's just crazy. Cause she had been fine. You know, people were like, oh, you just get a stent, you know? And, but you know, I guess death is inevitable for everyone and we don't know when it's going to happen. Yeah. I, I, and I'm so sorry. And how, how did you find out that, that she had passed away? So I'm still thinking, you know, cause my mom is one of those women, I don't, I'm sure men do it too, of a certain age where like they post everything on Facebook, you know, like I'm eating porridge for breakfast or you don't call it porridge. <laughs> porridge. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, she would use it. Like, I guess some people use Twitter, you know, like it's just, yeah. it was a very special thing. And then of her age, it was neat to reconnect with people from everywhere. So it was just kind of, anyways, I knew my mom was okay. Cause I can like see her Facebook posts. So I was planning on calling her and I get a call on my phone and I just missed it. And I looked and it was like a Tucson number. And my husband's really good at finding out who's calling your phone. And he's like, Bonnie, I think it's a Tucson hospital. And of course I'm like, well, how do I call them back on my phone? Like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I'm sure someone listening is like, Bonnie, it's really easy to make us phone calls from UK, but I don't know how to do it. So I immediately give yourself a little credit too, by the way, if, if, if you're like, Oh, it's a Tucson hospital. Mother just had a heart attack. It's a hospital in the town where my mom lives. It's not like you're going to be like, now I'm going to logically figure out how to call a hospital, right? No, of course not. I'm I'm already on heightened, like, um, and yeah, this isn't our first radio. I have a joke about that if I can remember, but, um, so I call my sister thinking, you know, maybe they've called her, you know, because it could be something like, like, one thing to remember is like my mom was had her tablet and was trying to arrange all this travel stuff before she went back to the States. And I'm trying to arrange stuff with my sister. So maybe there was just something like, you know, scheduling like a, I, I didn't think it could be the worst because I thought maybe there was another answer for it. So let me make that simple. So I call my sister just to be like, you know, maybe it's something else. There's a little thinking that maybe it's not. But I call my sister and she's already gotten the phone call. And uh, she is. I mean, I think you used the word earlier that wailing. I mean, it was just a noise. It just like it's not like crying or sad. It is just like your world has fallen apart. I know she was saying but I could understand what she was saying. Um, luckily, at that point person that she was in a relationship was there with her at the same time so she wasn't going through it alone but I ended up having to hang up on my sister because she wasn't able to talk to me because she but I got my answer I knew (sighs) um so 
here I am sitting in my living room again. This time we're in England. And I'm crying and I'm just trying to figure out how we're going to get there. And I honestly, I can't really remember much about it. Just that I, I think my, my, the sound of my sister, I can just still hear it in my head, which is kind of, I would love to just hear myself cry, but it's kind of sad when you hear like someone close to you as well. Yeah. Um, but luckily, like you said, my in-laws, they were able to fly all of us out to Tucson. and then. Debbie, who is my mom's high school best friend, she picked us up. And that was the first time I met her. And my mom, instead of downgrading to a smaller house when my dad had passed and my sister and I had out of the house, she'd gotten a bigger place. So there was tons of places for people to stay. And it became like a hub. So all these people came from different places, um, friends we knew in Italy. And um, that just started like the next few months of our life where we would have to not only do all the legalistic stuff that you have to do when someone passes, which is very complicated, especially if it involves the military. Um, and we also found out that my mom hadn't actually officially closed my dad's, uh, can't think of the word. Um, uh, case. Um, I think it's a state, the word my dad's. A oh, a state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom hadn't officially closed my dad's estate. And so we actually had to have our the lawyer that we hired reopen it so that we could close it. Um, I just assumed that it was very stressful for my mom. And she just sort of put it on the back burner and sure. didn't finish that, which I don't blame her. And um, because my sister and I, neither of us live in Tucson, we needed to figure out what we wanted to keep, how we were going to get it to either DC or to the UK, what we could give away to friends of hers, what we could give away to anyone else that needed stuff. And then how to get rid of things that we weren't because we'd have to sell her house. And that pretty much summed up very, very busy, like time period. We, we did officially like my mom's best friend was still staying with us. And mm. so when she got back from her work, we knew that was time to like clock off from doing anything involved the estate or my mom's house. Cause we had to like sort things and it was like beer o'clock and we'd have a beer and we wouldn't start again till the next day. Yeah. Good. And I don't know how it worked out, but my sister and I, we never broke down crying at the same time. Somehow our bodies knew to like do it at different times. Um, so there was lots of tears and lots of reminiscing. So, so this was, did your mom pass away about four years ago? Yeah. Four years ago, January. And you uh, had said earlier that it's certainly the first half of your, um, your dad's, uh, the decade after your dad passed away was, was really definitive for you. Has it been different the four years after you lost your mom? Yeah, and I don't know if it is because we did it before. Oh, that's the story I just wanted to say really quickly. We're at my mom's viewing. Um, we had that one day, and then we had her send off the next day. Um, but we're waiting for people to arrive. And my sister, like I said, we took time to be sad. And my sister was being very sad, and I wanted to help her smile. I don't know how you make someone smile at your mom's wake, but I go up to her and I was like, so if it makes you feel any better, we'll never have to do this ever again. <laughs> we only have two parents. 
Um, my sister and I find that really funny. I told that to Ryan recently and he was flabbergasted that I had said that, but his parents are both alive, so I won't hold it against him. That's fair. Yep, yeah, that's fair. So you you kind of had a new perspective. I mean, it's 10 more years of life and unfortunately I'm older. Yeah. And, and I, something about my mom and dad both being passed. I, wherever I am in life now and the way that I do want to remember them. And I, I see when I see rainbows, I, I feel like it's them communicating with me. Cause I only see them. It feels like on special days or when I really need it. I feel like the, who knows what happens in the afterlife, but I feel like people, as you remember them, are still around. So I feel like I'm able to process it better now, being like they're, they're you know, they both lived really amazing lives. I think they're both together wherever they are. Um, I still get really sad. Like, I love watching things about families and stuff and then crying or being like, Oh man, I hate going on Facebook, but I go on Facebook and see people still have like both the sets of their parents and they've got their children. So like, you know, it's like grandkids and I'm like, man, that must be great. But I also got to remember that not all family families are picture perfect things. So whatever you have that you enjoy, enjoy that. Don't. I, I, I don't know of a family at all that's a picture-perfect picture thing. Um, you know, and we talked a little bit earlier about what your mom kind of did with her life after your dad passed away, and I kind of want to close on this really positive note here. Uh, you said that your mom became a, a massage therapist. So, And earlier, when you were speaking about losing your father unexpectedly, you talked about how you were medicated, but you weren't really getting the help with your mental health that you feel you needed. So those two things, tell us about, as we close here, tell us about what you're doing now, what you've been up to and kind of what what you're doing with your life now. Well, when I packed up my mom's house, I went into her, she had her own massage room and I had a light bulb moment because I've always wanted to do massage. I said, Zoe, I'm taking all of her massage stuff and I'm going to go and find a place to learn massage in the UK. So luck have it, I found the best school. Um, massage in the UK is done by levels. It's an unregulated industry right now, like hairdressing, as an example. So I wanted to find the school to offer the highest level. So I'm just finished getting a BTEC level six from Jing Advanced Massage School in Brighton. So it's the only school to offer a level six. It's the highest level achieve in the UK. And it's called a, like a professional diploma. So you get a capping gown. Um, and I just received my certificates uh, a couple days ago, which is really great. Hey, that's fucking congratulations. Thank you. Um, part of that, because um, you already have to be, a, um, you don't get licensed here, but you already have to be a qualified massage therapist to do the BTEC level six. Mm-hmm. The BTEC level six is a three-year program after you've already become a massage therapist. Wow. And the final year, you're doing a 12-week research study. You get to choose what the topic is. And then you write a dissertation. You get it bound. You send it to the school. And so I did one on, um, so the school is called Jing. So Jing has their own sort of method, um, as you will. So mine is the Sorry, the title of my dissertation is The Effects of the Online Jing Method of Advanced Clinical Massage on Mental Health in Adults. 
So I used the DAS questionnaires that meant I could help look at depression, anxiety, and stress. And the online massage thing that I did with my participants, I was able to see a huge decrease in all three markers. That was a decrease in depression, in anxiety, and in stress. Just to clarify, just from the massage work you were doing. Yeah, so it's sort of a multimodal approach. Mm -hmm. So it's involving, because a lot of people are like, how does a massage therapist do work online? Um, Which is a fair question. Um, And I still do online sessions, but I'm I'm doing stuff that involves mindfulness and meditation. I'm teaching a self-guided massage, and that's like manual massage work, trigger point work, fascia work, acupressure. We're stretching muscles. Uh, I use heat and cold. And because I'm doing an online session, I find things that people can use in their own house. Just making um, it very accessible for people. And right. like you said, like I didn't have a way to deal with my anxiety, stress, and depression, which I definitely had all three of those in high extremes. And I still do. Um, but now it's a great way to reach out and help other people. Because I think if going through loss um, in childhood or the death of two people very close to me has taught me anything is that, um, you know, you, you got to find a way to... I'm not sure why it's taking me so long to get to that. You have to be able to take care of yourself. Um, Self-care, I think, has been underrated for a long time. Um, And I think it's really great that now we're talking a lot about mental health in a positive way and finding what works for people. And I did an online one just because I wanted to help people from wherever you are in the world. Yeah. Uh, Well, uh, we're wrapping up here, but... (laughs) Don't think I'm not going to, I mean, I could definitely use that because I have stress, anxiety, and depression. And I think it's, I, I just want to point out again, um, as we're closing, you know, you you took two very difficult situations, uh, some might say near impossible, and you've turned it into something so positive for so many other people. And, I, you know, and you, you did that 12-week study. You should be nothing but proud of that. I just think that's so wonderful. And the fact that you're offering these services for people, um, I, I don't know, it's a testament to you. So uh, thank you. And and anything that you want, we can put in the show notes for anything, any way that people can contact you, anything like that, if, if you feel comfortable sharing that. But as we close, is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap up? Um, I will give you some information so you can put in the show notes. But if people are interested in hey, how can massage help mental health? Or, you know, that was the only topic I did, but there were many other different topics about how massage can help people, both online, but also a lot of people did in-person studies. We're doing a online massage conference where we're bringing our dissertations and our research study and we're sharing it. It's very short, like mine's 10 minutes, Um, but I'll give you a a link for that in the show notes if anyone wants to watch, because you can see it recorded at another time. You don't have to watch it live. Awesome. Yeah. We'll definitely share that. Really. We'll share that. Anything else that you share again, I think you're doing wonderful, wonderful things. And I really appreciate you reaching out to us and coming on. Um, these are not easy things to talk about. And, um, it's just been wonderful in a selfish way to just to catch up with you. I hadn't talked to you in, in quite a while. Um, so thank you so much for reaching out, Bonnie. Thank you so much for being on sharing your story. And, um, I really appreciate it. 
No worries. And thank you so much for your podcast because I really enjoy it. Um, it's great to have a place where like-minded people can come and listen. So um, look forward to future episodes. Well, thank you very much. And uh, I look forward to, to making them. And, you know, I'll, I'll end this episode of, of said podcast same way I end all of them, which is that there's always just a reminder that there's always room for kindness and grace, especially with yourself. Um, I forget it every day. But uh, there is always room for kindness and grace, no matter the situation. And with that, we'll see you next time on Sad Times. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.